0: I have a moment of uh, just transparent sharing <clears throat> as this was on my heart earlier this morning and as we were singing as well, the rugged cross, my salvation, where His blood poured out on me. I don't know what you see when you see me or how you experience me, but uh, I've spent a couple of decades in the communications field, and I've uh, emceed a lot of different ceremonies when I was in the military for like four-star generals. It was considered an honor to do these things, Uh, and so I've spoken in different venues, large, small, medium size, Uh, but the one thing that I've learned in preaching the gospel is there's nothing like it. Right in every other venue, I was supposed to be the subject matter expert. Right, I was asked to lead a ceremony or officiate a ceremony because I was the one who knew how to do it well. But when you stand up and hold God's word, there's just there's no favor that I'm doing for God. It's the one space where I feel like I'm supposed to rightly divide the word of truth and rightly so, and where I'm also desperately dependent on God to be able to rightly divide the word of truth. It's a humbling experience, and my prayer continually is that the Lord would speak sincerely to me and through me, and I'm sharing that because on this morning, as I've been spending time in this word this week, this word has been for me. Right, And so I understand that if you think about it as a college class, you know, the lecturer is the subject matter expert making sure that you get their wisdom and that you can someday attain the wealth of knowledge that they have. I'm here today to get what God's got for me, and I encourage you to get what God's got for you, but I am not standing up here as a subject matter expert, but as a humble son who's grateful that God would use me, but I need this word. And my prayer is that as we engage with this word this morning, that that would be stirred up in your hearts as well, because we can't, people of God, we cannot leave here the same. I know that we have the privilege and the joy of doing this once a week, and so it could seem like this is just a regular run of show. It's another Sunday. But God, in His grace and His mercy, would choose to meet us and speak through feeble and frail people His glorious and holy word. May we engage with this in such a way that our lives will truly be changed. So, as I prepare to pray and open up the word, we'll be in Philippians chapter 1, starting at verse 18. My prayer is that you would also engage, that you would participate in this time of preaching and that your hearts and minds would be open so that you can receive what God has for you because I'm going to get what God's got for me. I'm a participant in this for right now. I really feel like putting a chair up here sitting because I feel like I'm about to preach to myself. But I pray that you get what God has got for you as well. Before we open up the word, I ask that you pray for me. And pray with me that the Lord would speak to us. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you that you, the creator, the sustainer of life, would meet us as it was shared in a dance studio. On chairs that are held up by plastic and metal but that you wouldn't see this space as a waste of time for you to invite us into your presence. So, God, we humbly come, not thinking that we're doing you a favor, not trying to take a posture of having it all figured out, not looking to be subject matter experts. We come as sons and daughters who need to hear from our daddy. So would you please speak a word, a word that will teach us, a word that will train us, a word that will correct us, and if necessary, a word that would rebuke us because of the love that you have for us. We trust that you will. It's the only reason that we came. So in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Philippians chapter 1 starting at verse 18. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out For my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope, that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. This is the word of the Lord. The word of God is good all by itself. As Paul is writing to the saints in Philippi, what we saw last week as my brother Sean unpacked verses 12 through 18a is that Paul wanted the saints in Philippi to know that his imprisonment was having a significant impact. His imprisonment in Rome was advancing the gospel. Paul says the whole imperial guard is being evangelized, and so he wants to encourage them in the fact that his imprisonment is not a waste, but God is doing something beautiful. But not only are sinners experiencing and hearing the gospel, he says that brothers, brothers and sisters in the faith are also being encouraged. They're confident in the Lord, and in verse 14, he says they're much more bold to speak the word without fear. So Paul's imprisonment is not seen as a problem for him. He's seeing it as the gospel continuing to go far and wide. And Paul knows as you continue looking at verses 15 through 17 that there are some brothers and sisters in the faith that are preaching the gospel with the wrong intent. And there are some who are preaching it from a place of sincerity. And Paul says in verse 18 that that doesn't concern him. His great joy, the reason that he can rejoice is because Christ is still being proclaimed. So, whether someone's motive is good or bad, Christ is being proclaimed. And in that, Paul says, I rejoice, I'm glad. But Paul also lets the saints in Philippi know that he has another reason to rejoice, as we see in verse 18b. Yes, and I will rejoice. And the reason that he says he can continue to be glad, he has another reason to be glad, is because he believes this will turn out for his deliverance. And the this that Paul is talking about is his imprisonment. This persecution that he's experiencing. And if you have some time or you want to go and do a little bit of digging, uh, you can look at Acts chapter 21 and read Acts 21 through about 23, 24 and see how Paul is being persecuted and how he got to Rome and how he's in prison. is because he was preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ and some Jews didn't care for that and they were trying to take his life. So Paul was actually looking for safety in one sense, and going to Rome, even though he was going to be in prison. So Paul is saying, but it's not a waste. I'm rejoicing in this persecution because I believe this persecution will lead to my deliverance. Now, that could seem a little bit confusing if we just take it at face value that, Paul, how is it that your confinement is going to lead to your freedom? Usually, if you're behind bars, that's not you being free, that's you being imprisoned. But if you understand the word deliverance, it comes from the Greek word soteria, which is where we get the word soteriology, which means doctrine of salvation. So what Paul is communicating here is salvation, but not just something far off and distant. It's a present possession of the true Christian. So Paul is believing that this persecution will turn out for his salvation. And we'll understand in just a moment how that is to be and why Paul believes that to be the case. So this persecution from Paul's perspective is going to turn out for his salvation, a salvation that he already possesses. But it's not quite yet in its fullness. And so Paul first believed that this is going to happen not because he's big and bad, not because he has some pedestal of perfection that he's standing from. But he says it right here for I know that through your prayers, through the prayers of the saints and the help of the spirit. So he's saying the support that he's getting from the saints and the strength that he's getting from the Holy Spirit is giving him confidence to believe that this persecution is going to turn out for his salvation. And he communicates it very clearly. We'll see here in verse 20 how that is going to be. The strength that Paul is going to get from the help of the Holy Spirit and the support from the believers is going to give him what he needs to persevere through persecution. And so Paul says here in verse 20, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed. Because of your support, because of your prayers, because of the help of the Holy Spirit, I have this eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed. I'm going to persevere through this persecution. This word eager expectation in the Koine Greek is one very long word. I didn't even think to try to say it. So just look it up in the Greek dictionary and you'll see it's a really long word. It's longer than eager expectation. But literally what it's looking to communicate is a head stretched out. It portrays an Olympic runner who's straining forward to get to the end goal with their head stretched out. Uh, You could picture the 100-meter dash in the Olympics. Right, everybody that's on the line is an Olympian. They're there for a reason. They're running uh, sub-10 at best, but you know they're going to lose. The ones who are really in it are running mid-nines, right? They are off to the races. So you know you're going to have to bring your A game today, right? It's not just a matter of sheer skill. You're going to need some help from the wind. You're going to need to make sure your form is good. You're going to have to come out the block, right? I mean, today is going to have to be your solid day. The best day that you have if you're going to have any chance of winning this race. And even then, you know that as you are, as you are approaching the finish line, You don't get all cute, turn around and wave to the people. No, you are going to strain forward because if I'm going to beat you, I'll I'll beat you by a nose here if I can. I just need to cross that finish line first. Right, My head is outstretched to cross the line. Paul says it is my eager expectation, my drive, my strain. Paul will later say in Philippians chapter 3 that I'm pressing toward the mark. It's that same kind of picture, right, that I am going to persevere. And it's not just because I feel like it or because I want to or because I'm hoping that I might win. No, Paul says this is eager expectation and hope. This hope is an expectation in what is sure. In this context, it speaks to a joyful, confident expectation of eternal life. So Paul is straining towards this mark, believing that he has a sure hope in Jesus Christ that he will win this race. So he's going to persevere through persecution with the support, the prayers of the believers, and the help of the Holy Spirit. He's not going to shrink back. Right? So he says, I will not be at all ashamed. I will not be disgraced. I will not renounce the faith. But instead, Paul continues, with full courage, with full, complete confidence, boldness, a bold resolve. Now, as always, now in my present persecution, as always, as in my past persecutions, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or or by death. That Christ will receive, he will get glory and praise through my life, is what Paul is communicating. I'm going to persist in this partnership by persevering through this persecution because of the strength that I will receive from the Holy Spirit and the support of the believers. And that's why I believe that this will turn out for my salvation because I'm not going to quit. I'm going to finish all the way through, outstretched. I have every intent to cross this finish line. And what I love here that we need to grab a hold of is Paul is not saying that's because I'm Paul and I got this. No, Paul is saying I need help. And because I have the help that I need, I believe that I will be able to persevere through this persecution. And for that reason and my persisting, I will experience the salvation of the Lord. And Paul lets us know why he would take this approach. Why he would not do what most people would do when you find yourself in a Roman prison on trumped-up charges attached to the Green Beret of the Roman army because they'll kill you if you breathe wrong. Why, Paul, are you not just trying to figure out a way out so that you can be safe, comfortable, and plush? Paul says, because to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul is saying, I leverage my life for the Lord. The reason that I live, move, and have my being is for Christ. To understand this line just a little bit better, we can go and look at a couple of other letters that Paul wrote. To live is Christ. What does Paul mean by that? That that would give him a perspective to sit in persecution instead of running and trying to play it safe like so many would do in the midst of hardship. Paul says in Galatians chapter 2 verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ. In other words, I have come to receive and believe in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. So now it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So you see me, the life that I'm now living like this. This is me. I'm Michael. I know. I get it. You see me. But the life that I'm now living, I live by faith in the Son of God. I live in obedience to Jesus Christ. So when Paul says, for to me to live is Christ, he's saying that what drives me is Christ and Christ alone. I live in obedience to Christ. I'm not looking to please myself. I'm looking to please the one who I have submitted to as Lord and Savior. So he is my Savior, and because of that, I also surrender my life to him as Lord. And what you see me do, I do because Christ said do. Right? No do me. I'm going to do what Jesus would have for me to do. So now, for me to live is Christ. But Paul also said to die is gain. And Paul gives an understanding to this. If we look at 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6 through 8, uh, Paul writes a letter to Timothy saying, Hey, son... That time is coming. I'm getting ready to go on and be with the Lord. And we can see what Paul meant by to die is gain as he's telling Timothy to come on and come and be with him for a little bit because he doesn't know how much longer he has. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering. And the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race, head outstretched all the way through the finish. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will, confidently he believes this, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing, to all who have remained faithful, waiting for the day of Jesus Christ's return. So Paul says for me to live is Christ, to die is gain, because if I die, I know that there's a crown of righteousness that is waiting for me. I haven't received it in its fullness yet. I believe 100% that I am in fact saved and I know that when I go to be with the Lord on that day, the day of Jesus Christ's return, I'm going to get my crown. No, no question, I will get it. So for me to live is Christ. To die is gain. Because I'm leveraging my life for the Lord. He is the reason that I live, move, and have my being. In a word, what Paul is speaking to is the gospel. The gospel is what defines who Paul is and what Paul does. Because Jesus Christ has saved me, now I live for him. And Paul lets us know what this looks like practically lived out. If I leverage my life for the glory of God, what does that look like as I'm living in this life? Well, it means living for the good of others. And so Paul here in verse 23, after saying, I'm leveraging my life for the Lord, he lets us know that he lives his life for the good of others. Verse 23, I am hard pressed between the two. The two that he's speaking about is to live or to die. Now, that's a wild thought. Just sit with it for a moment. And I've talked to a few Americans And what I've heard from some Americans that have a good and comfortable and plush life is that they want Jesus to not come back just yet. Because there are still some things that they want to do. I said, I need you to get outside of your bubble and just look at what's going on around in the rest of the world. So that we can say like Paul or like John, come Jesus. Right? But it's that thought that, oh, dying. Oh, that's just going to be such a loss. No, Paul is saying, listen, I'm torn. I mean... Staying, yes, will lead to fruitful work, but I really would like to go and be with the Lord. And so he communicates that my desire is to depart and be with Christ for that is far better to be with Jesus far better. That's what I desire to do. That's what I long for. Well, all right, Paul, we'll go ahead and go do it, man, if that's what you want to do. But Paul doesn't stay there. He says, but to remain, verse 24, in the flesh is more necessary on your account. So it's far better for you, Paul is saying, that I remain. Well, what you going to do, Paul? I mean, that's got to be a, just a tough spot to be in. It's far better for you if you leave, but it's far better for them if you stay convinced, verse 25, of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. I'm convinced then because it's far better for you that I stay, that I'm going to remain for your progress, not for mine. I'm ready to go home. I actually think it'd be cool. I'm I'm, I'm ready. Lord, when, what's, no, they need, You still want to use me to be a blessing to the body? All right, then then I'm staying. And not begrudgingly. No, I'm convinced that it's better that I stay, so he's gladly going to stay and serve the body. See, and this is that mindset. Because for me to live is Christ and to die is gain, I'm not looking to do me. I'm here to serve others. And Paul is taking a page out of Jesus' playbook. The gospel according to John, chapter 6, starting at verse 38. This is the words of Jesus Christ. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me. But raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. Jesus said he left heaven. Heaven. Not your home. I don't care how good your home is. Heaven. He left heaven to come to earth, put on flesh for the purposes of dying for sinners. And he was without sin. And he says the reason that he did that was because he was living for the glory of God the Father. I came not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. I'm leveraging my life, in other words, Jesus is communicating, for the glory of God the Father. And I do that by living for the good of others. So that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. Jesus didn't need anybody to give him eternal life. He's eternal. Right? So he was doing that strictly for you and for me. He needed nothing and he needed no one. But for the glory of God the Father and for the good of others, he would leave heaven, come to earth, live a perfect life, and then die a gruesome death. So that others who would come to him, like Paul, would experience eternal life life. This is the example of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And this is the example that Paul lived out. And someone could stop here and say, well, yeah, but that was Jesus and that was Paul. See, and that's where we get into this mindset of subject matter experts. And I'm just, you know, just this lowly little Michael and that doesn't apply to me. No, this is for us all. Paul would write, follow me as I follow Christ. Paul would encourage the church, be imitators of God. So we are to follow this example. We're to have this perspective on persecution, where we're not looking to play it safe, have it easy, and just do me, but where we're willing to persist in this partnership with Jesus Christ by persevering in persecution, that we're willing to live so that somebody else might see, experience, and know the goodness of God and the land of the living. Listen, I have everything I need already. I've got God. There are other people who are destitute and poor. And I'm not talking about wealth. I'm talking about their soul. They need to experience the love of Jesus Christ. I remember when we went to Papua New Guinea. You want to talk about poverty. They looked impoverished. But then you say Jesus to these brothers and sisters and a smile went across their face where you just knew they have a joy that I might be missing out on. It was just something different. They weren't looking for anything else. They weren't looking anywhere else. They had the love of Jesus in their heart. And you could just see it all over their face. Right? And, and though we may have a lot of things, sometimes there's this emptiness because we're still trying to live for ourselves. Like there's something else that I need to satisfy me. As though God is not enough. No, Paul says God is more than enough. So, as a matter of fact, we'll see can, as we continue through Philippians, Paul's like, I lay everything else aside. I consider all of that gain as garbage if I can just know Jesus. And so Paul leverages his life so that others can get to know Jesus. Because when you have come to experience the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living, you can't keep that to yourself. You can't. You got to share it with somebody else. They don't want to hear it. I know, but you just just give me one, just real quick, real quick. I I won't keep you long. I just want to share it with you. I don't, need, I don't even need your permission. It just slips out in conversation. How you doing today, Michael? Jesus loves you. I mean, like you today, or I just, sorry, you just, it was just in me. <clears throat> right? That's what it looks like. And that's what Paul is saying. And that's for all of us. All of us, when we come to know Jesus, are to live this way. And that's what the scriptures communicate to us. This is not just the way Jesus is to live. This is not just the way that Paul is to live. We are all to leverage our lives for the Lord. And live for the good of others. Hebrews chapter 10 will meet us in our living room. Starting at verse 34. But recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings. Sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction. And sometimes being partners with those so treated for you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. You have partnered with God in the advancement of the gospel, and you've experienced some hardships This is what is being communicated to the believers. You have given up some things. You've gone without some things. You've been persecuted because of your faith. And so it's being made known to the believers. Persist in that. Continue to endure. Continue to persevere in your persecution. Knowing the reason why you gave those things up in the first place. Knowing the reason that you were willing to go through and joyfully allowing your possessions to be plundered because you have a sure hope, better possession, and an abiding one. Verse 35, therefore, holding on to this hope, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. And what he's communicating, and we'll see it in just a moment in the, the latter parts of this section, is don't shrink back. Don't pull up short of the finish line. Don't lose your confidence. Continue to fight the good fight of faith. Verse 36, for you have need of endurance, perseverance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. Your perseverance through persecution is going to ensure that you receive the promise that God has for you. For yet a little while, this is the promise, the coming one will come. And will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. Listen to this word, verse 39. But we are not those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. We are those who have eager expectation and hope. We are those who strain forward. To the end goal, with our head outstretched, knowing that we have a joyful and confident expectation of eternal life. So keep fighting the good fight of faith. Paul would tell the believers in uh, the church in Galatia to not get weary in well-doing. For in due season you will reap. You will receive your crown of righteousness if you faint not persist in this partnership by persevering in persecution. And so the challenge that I want to encourage us on this morning is that we are not called as a people of God to live our hashtag best life. We are called as a people of God to live the blessed life. And the word lets us know what that looks like. Right? The best life is I'm going to do me, right? It's that mindset. You do you, boo. It's the relativism kind of mindset. Whatever I think is good for me is good for me. I'm not you do whatever you want to do. Whatever is good for me is good for me. I mean, you have to be, just for a moment, you have to be lost in your sin to try to convince me that you drinking and driving is cool as long as it doesn't, I mean, that's just what you want to do. I'm on the road too. I need you to stop, <laughs> But as long as you're happy with it, right, that's the mindset that the world is looking to sell, right? That's your best life. Do whatever you want to do. Don't worry about what anybody else thinks. Don't listen to your mother, father, brother, sister, cousin. Don't care about anybody else. You just do you. That's your best life. The scriptures tell us, no, live the blessed life. That's what Jesus taught his disciples. This same idea. Leverage your life for the Lord. Live for the glory of the Lord and for the good of others. That's the blessed life. Matthew chapter 5. Verse 10 and 11, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice, be glad, and be glad. It's like redundancy minus 10. No, I'm going to drive this point home. Be glad and be glad. Be glad and be glad some more. At what? At persecution, yes, because your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. See, you cannot do this. You and I will not have this mindset if we feel like this life is all that we have. You have to have a hope that there is a God who has a place where there's no pain, no tears. You have to grab a hold of the gospel and let that drive you. And if it drives you, then no, and no one's sitting here and going to sell you a bag of false goods. That if you trust in God, persecution will be fun. Absolutely not. Persecution, rightfully named, it hurts. So this is not, and you will enjoy it. No, it's if you know who God is, what he has done, and what he promises to do, you will persevere. You will run with all of your strength to finish because you know, not I think I might get a crown. No, I'm guaranteed a crown. Just fight the good fight. Finish strong, Michael, all the way through the finish. I got to hold on because there's a promise for me that I am not going to let go of. I have a hope, a sure expectation that God's going to make good on his promise. So I will persevere through persecution. I will live the blessed life. I'll go without some things. I will leverage this life, this life that you now see me living. I know you see me, but it's not really me. And the reason why I can say that is because you didn't see me before Jesus. Me before Jesus, like, oh, oh, yeah, no, I like you post-Jesus. See, because me before Jesus was I'm going to do me. I'm going to do whatever I think I'm big and bad enough to do. I don't care how it hurts my mother, my father, or anybody else. I'm just going to do me. Me post-Jesus, oh, the life I now live, you see me, but it's not me. Because the life I now live, I live by faith. I live in obedience to what God says. And when we have that mindset, then we say the same thing as Paul. We do the same thing as Jesus. For me to live... Christ. And to die is gain. There's nothing that you can take from me because I have a God who's given me all that I need. And when we believe that, we fight. We do not shrink back. We lean in and we hold on to hope. We persevere through persecution. I want to make this really practical because someone might be thinking, well, there's nobody that's looking to drag me out of my house. We're not concerned if anybody's going to come in and say this is an unsanctioned worship service. But persecution is not just somebody physically attacking you. Persecution is exactly what Paul talked about. I am crucified with Christ. Persecution is you denying yourself. Anybody ever denied themselves the bag of Cheetos? Yeah, you know what happened. Like, well, oh, I mean, just, just one. And one more hurt me. It's like, oh, man, well, two. Next thing you know, the whole bag is gone, right? You really don't do a good job of denying yourself. If you don't have a focus and a goal, it's hard to deny yourself. Am I alone? Just by a show of hands, I just need to do it because you all looking at me like, man, Michael, you're the pastor. You're supposed to have a good time denying yourself. Stop. Anybody else struggle with denying yourself? Just by a show of hands. And if you don't raise your hand, I'm going to call you out by your name because you're lying. Right? We all struggle with denying ourselves. What would compel you to deny you when you love you and you want what's best for you? Which is clearly comfort and pleasantries, correct? Right. Why would you not give yourself everything that your hearts desire? Well, because I have a hope that I'm holding on to. I had a real practical moment to live this out yesterday when I was walking with my son. We were going to pick up a car from somebody else's house so that we can drive it back to our house so that somebody else can come pick it up from our house. You got all that? Just know that it was an inconvenience to my life on a Saturday morning. <clears throat> right? And so I go and pick up this car. Walking to go get a car to drive back. It was a great, it was good. But as I'm walking and talking to David, I'm like, this is a great picture of what it looks like to live for the good of others. I know we want to be with the big and the, the extravagant things, but you're you're doing something for somebody else. And as we're walking, the Lord just gave me another opportunity to, to be humbled. I'm telling you, I'm receiving, I'm not, I'm not projecting, I'm just this is me walking, and as we're walking down the path, we're about a third of the way there, and off in the corner, there's a phone in the brush, and I don't know how my eyes made contact with it, because I'm walking straight. I just look over, and say, like, there's the phone. It's like, Come. it's like, all right, it's a phone. So let me pick up the phone. I look at the phone. It's like, there's no identifiers that can let me know who this is. And we're just going to drop back in the brush. They might come back and find it. And David, with his keen eyes, says, oh, Poppy, there's uh, some ID on the back. There would be. And so we look at at it, and there's a a license with someone's address. I was like, oh, okay, great. They're probably in the neighborhood. We'll just do a slight detour from the detour that we're already doing, right, to just drop this phone off. And so I punch in the, the address into my phone. And it's in Conroe. You have got to be ki- It's a 30-minute drive one way. I was like, well, I mean, clearly they'll come back, right? You just, you know what I mean? They'll come back It's their phone. You know, they just, hopefully they have a locate my phone tracker on it. And they'll come, nope. It's like, all right, son, I'm going to pick up this car. And then we're going we gonna to drive to Conroe to drop off somebody's cell phone. And I was ready to do that. And then the Lord said, okay, it must have been a test for me because then someone's coming around looking lost. And David's like, Papi, I think that's the person. I'm like, yeah, she, she looked like that person. I don't even need to look at the ID. She's like, I'm like, who's walking, you know, doing the dance? i like, yeah, she lost, she lost something. And so we gave her the phone, and she was happy, and I was, I was a bit happy too, you know, just not, because I blessed her. I blessed her. You know, so I was able to keep it moving, and then we, we walked on our business, and we got the car and brought it back. But what I've learned, right, and this is where the Lord challenged me, is what does it look like to live for the good of others? It's allowing yourself to be, quote-unquote, inconvenienced so that someone else can be cared for well. It's being willing to take a 30-minute drive one way. Oh, and by the way, earlier that day, I took somebody to the Bush International Airport, which is about 45 minutes, and dropped them off and just turned back around and came right back. Right? We have moments like this where our initial thought, and again, just be real for a moment in the room. It's just you and you and me. Or you and Jesus, whichever one makes you feel better. Hopefully it's you and Jesus. Right, so you and Jesus for just a moment. Like, don't your feelings start to come into play? They're like, I really don't feel like. Right, And our feelings are a part of this equation, and we have to take those thoughts captive and say, you know, I really don't feel like it. I'm just going to be real. Like, I did not get up in the morning and said, let me drive for an hour to go drop off somebody's cell phone. That's not how I woke up in the morning. But you know what I realized is that I can't let my feelings drive the the train. The life I now live, I live in faith. And so at times, that's going to mean, Michael, you're going to have to be inconvenienced. Your comfort is going to have to take a back seat because you're considering someone more highly than yourself, because you know how you would feel if that was your cell phone there. You would hope that someone would come out and help you out, right? And then David so graciously reminded me this one time when I lost my ID on the coast at uh, Galveston and someone mailed it to me. Like, yeah, that person had to pick it up, put it in an envelope, stamp it and mail it off they didn't have to do that they could have just said oh well that's a poor sap out to the sea no they said man i know what that must feel like let me go ahead and mail this to them right they were inconvenienced and these may seem like small things but if we aren't faithful in the little what makes us think we're really going to be faithful over much right so our lives are to be lived leveraged for the glory of god and for the good of others and so I really want to break this down so that we can leave here not think that oh well that doesn't apply to me yes it does it applies to all of us because I assure you at some point this week you're gonna have the opportunity to be in and you know how I know because I've been praying Lord everybody who's in this room may they be inconvenienced <clears throat> this week right may we live may we practice leveraging our lives for the glory of God and the good of others. I'm not looking to live my best life. I'm looking to live the blessed life. And in living that blessed life, yes, it's going to start with me being inconvenienced. And what I see is that as I continue to live this blessed life, some other people are going to be offended by that. Like, well, Michael, why you always got to be so nice? Because God is so good. That's the, it's the gospel that drives me. Oh, no, don't get it twisted even a little bit. Right? If it was left up to me, I'd do me. I want to be comfortable. I don't want to have any pain. I mean, just at the thought of somebody possibly treating my fingernail differently. I mean, it's like, oh, no, what, what information do you need? I will tell you everybody's social security number. I would not be the one that you would want to hold in the information. Like, no, no, you don't got to touch me. I'm going to tell you. Right? Who wants to go through pain? But when you think about the goodness of the Lord, right, we do it for his glory. Because we want Christ to get glory and praise through our lives. I want to invite the praise team to come back up as we consider, consider this truth as we think about gospel culture, what does it look like to live for God? What does it look like to have a way of informed by the gospel? What does it look like to have a way of life that's informed by the gospel? Apparently I needed to say that twice, which is why the mic went out, right? What does that look like? Well, as we heard today, if you believe that truth was spoken, We persevere through persecution. We are not looking to live our best life. We're looking to live the blessed life. As I feel this in my heart in this moment, I want to encourage some of us, and I want to challenge others of us. The encouragement that I feel in my heart at this moment to just share with you Don't get weary in well-doing for in due season. See, due season is like a delayed gratification. I plant the seed. I nurture the ground. And I keep on nurturing it and tending to it, believing that something's going to come up at some point in time. But I've got to wait. And it doesn't look like anything's going to come up. It doesn't look like it's working. And in that space, sometimes I find myself asking God, why? Why me? Why this hurt? I've done everything that I was supposed to do. I planted it. I got the right soil, mulch around it. I have some supporting plants around it so that it could thrive in this environment. And it doesn't look like it's working. Don't get weary in well-doing. God sees you. He knows where you are and he's proud I just need that for me for a moment he's proud you know we don't hear that enough okay we don't hear that enough we think that God is some dictator on a throne and we're his little minions no we're his children and I know that it's messy I know that life's not easy. I know that maybe at some point you felt like cursing God. God sees you where you are. And the loving Father that He is, He enters in to comfort you and care for you and meet you in your brokenness. It's not performance-based. Don't get weary in well-doing. It hurts. And I'd like to say that I know. I may be able to have compassion for some, sympathy for others, and empathy for a very small few. But Jesus Christ understands to the depths. And he meets you right there. Please hear me on this morning. You don't have to leave here feeling like you had to have it all figured out. And because you didn't figure it all out, you're not worthy. You are worthy. And the reason why you're worthy is because Jesus Christ would live and he would leverage his life for the glory of the Father and for your good. And so he says it's not based on your goodness. It's based on his goodness. And so he says come in through him. And so you are worthy to receive love, grace, and mercy because of who Christ is and what he's done for you. And so I know, only because I've sat down and spoken with a few, that everybody that entered into this room did not come in skipping. And so this is not supposed to be some word that's just a pep rally cheerleader kind of a communication. No, persecution is painful. Sure hope. Sure hope. Heaven's my home not easy living the blessed life but it's a blessed life and we might not experience it all right here right now but one day we will behold his face and you will have no shame that you persevered through persecution and for some of us i want to charge us challenge us be inconvenienced be inconvenienced this week Leverage your life for the glory of God and for the good of others. And tell your feelings, I appreciate your input. I'm going to need you to take a back seat here because God is greater. And I'm willing to make the drive. I'm willing to make the call. I'm willing to sit down at the coffee table. I'm willing to inconvenience myself. Not because I think that it's going to give me a brownie point in glory, but because I'm reminded of a Savior who inconvenienced himself. And because of that hope, I'll enter in to somebody else's pain. No, I don't always know what I'm supposed to say. I don't always know what I'm supposed to do. And sometimes that leads to me saying, I'm sorry, I didn't mean for that to come out that way. But I'm willing to walk with you. I'm willing to talk to you. I'm not going to find my little cubby and try and just hang out. I'm going to enter into the messiness of life. That's why we're still here. Not so that we can try and figure out the safe space that makes it comfortable for me, but so that somebody else can see, know, and believe that Jesus is the Christ. Leverage your life for the glory of God and for the good of others. Because for us who've been saved, To live is Christ. And to die is gain. I'm good already because God's got me. So for the next couple of moments, wherever those two points met you, you and Jesus, just going to take some quiet time of reflection. If you're hurting and going through, take it to the Lord. He sees you. He's proud of you. He loves you. He's here for you. And if you found yourself trying to live your best life, lay that on the altar. Let's pick up this blessed life so that we can run through the finish, head outstretched, because there's a hope. We know we're going to make it home. Let's pray for a couple of moments.